This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas and welcome to our podcast brought to you in association with Renewable UK. This week I'm joined by my two colleagues hunting down the best of the world's energy news, our Africa editor Ed Reid and digital journalist Hamish Penman. Hello gents, how are we doing? We, we're, we're speaking now as, as a lot is going on in the world of sports, you know, the Winter Olympics and... Uh, Oh, I don't know. The, the Six Nations was pretty enjoyable over the weekend, I thought. I don't know how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the Olympics. <laughs> West Brom playing tonight as well, so we can all look forward to that. Oh, fabulous. Yes, yes. Uh, got it in my calendar and everything. Good, good. Uh, yeah, no, it's just such a rarity for, for Scots to be um, winning at something that we have to <laughs> gloat and be just... Uh, Terrible about the whole situation every time. So, you know, just take our wins where we can get them. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess we'll, we'll get on to energy and we will kick off this week with BP's profits and the profits of Shell, for that matter. And this rising call for a North Sea windfall tax, or perhaps we should just call it a Shell and BP tax. That seems to be the narrative that people have been putting out there. And I, I think, I would assume most people are familiar with the issue by now. BP this week and, and Shell last week posted very healthy profits, reversing substantial losses incurred during the pandemic, which saw, you know, lest we forget, thousands of people lose their jobs, particularly in this region. And that's led to this call for a windfall tax on the profits of North Sea oil and gas companies. And we've got this issue of, as I say, BP and Shell posting healthy, healthy earnings in light of higher oil and gas prices, these prices are hitting consumers hard. Uh, Offgem announcing the, the price cap rising by an average, I think, of around £700 per person. So, yeah, not to be flippant about this, for many people, it, it, it is hard choices about buying food or, you know, sticking on your heating. So it, it, is, it is tough out there. And I think the, you know, the proposal is well-intentioned. Um, however, I guess with anything involving the, you know, the the... The demon, uh, the the big bad that is oil and gas, uh, you lose some some nuance in the debate. And I, I guess the first thing is, you know, it's not just BP and Shell who are operators in the North Sea. They're they're fairly medium sized now compared to others. You've got larger players, Total Energies, Harbour Energy. You might argue CNOC as well by production size. And I think people are perhaps looking at the profits specifically of BP and Shell in isolation, and and those. Those revenues are not really driven by their UK operations. It's more of a global picture. North Sea companies already pay a lot of tax. There's misconceptions on that. Another levy on top of what they pay, yes, you know, could damage future investment. I don't think you know we could look at the events of the last few months and say it's been a positive investment environment for the North Sea. And you know, I've seen people online say, "Well, who cares about the investors?" Well, okay. I guess you're forgetting there that you know over the last two years we've lost tens of thousands of jobs from this industry from Aberdeen elsewhere due to historic low prices that feels like yesterday and it can and does fluctuate you know a couple a couple of my friends and, and family members lost their jobs and you know, plenty of others have lost their jobs and I guess this conversation about imposing you know a further levy I'm not really seeing in the discussion. People don't seem to grasp that an impact on profits of a BP or a Shell or an Enquest that feeds down into the spending, their spending, into the supply chain, and then into employment of people, not just in Aberdeen, you know, there are plenty of other oil and gas regions around uh, the country. So a couple of other things about the, the windfall tax, you know, this could hit pension funds, savings, insurance policies that have been, you know, investing in oil and gas industry. There are plenty of those out there. 
And on a very practical level, there's a lot of deferred maintenance spending in the North Sea right now. You know, just over a year ago, you know, we as I said, we had this this historic you know price crash, and that kind of pushed some non-critical but could become critical safety work um, on the back burner a little bit, and another levy on profits you know, arguably could see that deferred uh, even longer. So this is well-intentioned, uh, emotive, I think, but, you know, maybe a short-term solution to a long-term problem, which might arise again. Chancellor Rishi Sunak um, seems to be indicating he won't bow to the pressure. We'll see. He's got a spring statement in March on a package of support. We'll see what happens. But keen to hear what you guys uh, think of the whole um, situation. Uh, yes or no for a windfall tax? I mean, I think clearly, it, as you say, Alistair, as you say, uh, the, 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 the rationale is, is, is really difficult, isn't it? I mean, I think it's, it's clearly politically attractive. You know, we've seen the Lib Dems and Labour kind of come out in favour of, of the windfall tax. So clearly there is this, there is a, a political need to tackle this energy poverty issue, which, as you say, is, is really important, right? When you're having to choose between food or heating, that suggests that, you know, that, that, that people are not doing well. And obviously this is, you know, sort of ties into sort of broader inflation concerns. Mm. So I guess the question is, you know, how, how, how should the government try and tackle it? And, and that's going to be a real problem. If there is not going to be a windfall tax... We do still have a price cap, which obviously, as you say, is 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 going up. But there is still this pressure, and it's um, it's difficult. I mean, I think I guess that's the thing about about energy, isn't it? That when uh, energy prices are low, people pay no attention to energy. Yeah. When energy prices are high, obviously, suddenly it's it's sort of front and center at, at how people think about the world, and particularly when you're thinking, I have to turn the heating off because I can't afford it. But at the same time, you're seeing. BP and Shell posting record profits, revenues, that's going to rankle. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, th- I guess what we've seen from uh, the UK government so far, there's been there's been some support announced, um, but from what I gather, in the main, for many people, it's not really going to cut it. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's going to have to find a solution of some kind. Um, you know, he's got a month and a bit to 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 do it. I think it's March twenty third. We're expecting the spring statement. So, you know. If, I, I do think I do think this this short term solution issue is perhaps you know what what maybe isn't so attractive about windfall tax, but you know as you say I think uh, the in in the main I think people are not going to be shedding a tear for oil companies who are posting these massive profits and you know that I think loses some of the nuance again with you know it's not just you're not just going to hit the the BPs and the shells of this world. Um, you're going to hit that that whole supply chain too. Hamish, what do you think of it? I just think it's kind of um, running the risk or perhaps it's kind of already been treated as more of a moral issue than a perhaps an economic issue, which it is. And and it's understanding that people are uh, understandable that people are treating it as such because it is something that is going to affect millions. But kind of treating it as as an issue of morality isn't going to solve this problem. The only thing this is... It is. This is just markets kind of acting or reacting as they should. In that, demand is outstripping supply, so prices are so prices are high. So the only way that we're going to be able to, in the long run, anyway, solve this solve this uh, imbalance, is a big expansion of supply sides in the energy sector, and that doesn't really seem to be something that's being talked about so much at the moment. Maybe maybe it is in certain quarters where people say we need to tax these companies so we can expand the renewables and things like that, but. That's going to take years, if not decades, before that before we'll be feeling the kind of the benefit of that. So, 
And I mean, we saw the government yesterday saying they were looking to fast track these fields, the six North Sea, uh, North sea fields to try and alleviate some of this pressure. And I mean, it's kind of, a, it's almost reflective of the wider debate on kind of climate change and North Sea production anyway, in that, I don't know, rationale and, and, and perhaps reason is, is kind of being put on the back burner in, in terms of rhetoric, I think. I mean, I would say that it, it was quite interesting uh, this week, you know, Total Energies you know, is obviously also a big player in the North Sea, came out this week, you know, ahead of its results uh, and said that it was going to take uh, a couple of measures to try and reduce the pain for consumers in France, didn't it? So I think I think there's a... There's a sort of an emergency fee for those in fuel poverty, and there's a sort of I think it's is it lower priced petrol as well in some in some uh, rural gas stations. So I think there are ways that you know companies can sort of try and get ahead of this a bit. And I think I guess that's what we're seeing from from Shell and BP is that they are just saying please don't tax us more, but they've not really come up with a, a, a solution or some way to sort of try and say, we're thinking about this, we've we'll come up with practical steps to, to tackle the problem. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that kind of point on corporate social responsibility and, and things, if North Sea companies, especially Shell and BP, because they are the, the kind of the demons in many people's eyes at the moment, if they want to kind of change their perception and um, kind of secure that license to operate, their reaction to this could go a long way to to securing that and and for for people changing their um changing their views on these companies. I, I think this is a question for government um to 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 an extent um you know to, they you know they're, they're not going to want to take a knee jerk reaction I suppose. Uh, the, the the point that I keep seeing raised again and again is this issue of gas storage and the fact that the UK closed down its last gas storage site I think in 2013 was it 2013 2014 uh, the Centrica rough uh, facility um, which seems it seemed like it was ill advised at the time it, it certainly seems like a, an absolute backfire now um, and you know that 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 is one such measure that would have helped us at least in part mitigate some of the issues we're seeing here. Just one point I want to, to talk a little bit about is that, um, and I think we've talked about this recently before, this idea of, of the, the oil company's profits and this idea that they're, they're not paying tax because of decommissioning rebates. It, it, you know, uh, we, again, we spoke about this recently and just I'm seeing more and more uh, outlets put this out that, that you know the taxpayer is paying for for decommissioning and it's 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 not technically the case and the the, the way to, to kind of put it across is you know okay yes companies like BP and Shell are getting uh, their tax rebates on their decommissioning costs but you know got to keep this in mind they've paid 350 billion uh, from the you know from their their industry in the North Sea since that industry began and I'm not really seeing that in in the coverage. And, and, and the way to look at it is, you know, oil companies have paid more tax than they were uh, due to pay. They've put more money into the treasury over and above their annual requirement. Get to the point of decommissioning. That's so costly, it effectively wipes out the profits. And at that point, they claim a rebate from the treasury, which is used to kind of justify that initial spend. That money's not fresh. It should have been kind of sitting there for them to claim back. There's no net cost to the taxpayer. You know, if the Treasury's chosen to spend that money, which it should have held back, that's that's the Treasury's uh, issue. But you know, it's it's a cash flow issue. Um, you know, it is money going out of the Treasury, but you know, it, it really should have been kind of held to be kind of given back this kind of loan 
to oil companies when the time for decommissioning came around. So, so it, there is this kind of false uh, narrative going about about you know uh, de- decommissioning costs, and it's such a complex issue that you can totally see why people are just you know going for the simplest answer, which is you know oil companies aren't paying for their, their, their pay, aren't paying their taxes. So. It's a bit of a tricky one, and you know, I saw I saw some news reports last night again saying you know they they, they don't pay any material tax revenues in this country, um, which was not corrected. And I, I had people call me up and say, "You're not going to run with this in Energy Voice tomorrow, are you?" Because it's it's not true. Um, and I said, "No, we know it's not true, but you know, other outlets who should know better are are still going with it." You know, so I don't I don't really know what we do about that or what the industry does about it. I didn't see anybody from the industry in that particular news report, which shan't be named. Um, but anyway, I think we could probably talk about that for a little bit longer, but let's not. Um, we'll leave uh, windfall tax there for now. Next up, Ed will talk us through a, uh, a serious incident in Nigeria, and that's coming right up after Hamish tells us about one of the major events in the Energy Voice calendar. Join me, Hamish Penman, online on Monday the 7th of March for the second in Energy Voice's Tracking Transition series on wind power. Across all four of these virtual events, we're assessing the wind sector's development to date and investigating what needs to happen to maximise its potential. Beamed live to our audience from the UK Cabinet Office in Edinburgh, this second session focusing on the UK state of play will zero in on the UK's burgeoning wind sector and the rich export opportunities it presents. Find out more and register free at trackingwind.com to join our virtual audience and hear from our expert panel led by SSE, fresh from their recent success in the Scotland leasing rounds. 7th of March, trackingwind.com. I can't wait to see you there. So, uh, Ed, we, we have in, in recent days been you know, struck by these, these images of the, the smoking uh, Trinity Spirit FPSO off Nigeria, obviously um, prompted concern over those missing. Um, could you kind of just bring us up to speed on, on what's been happening there in the intervening days? Certainly, certainly. So uh, the fire broke out after an explosion, it seems, on uh, February the 2nd. Uh, at that point, there were there were ten men on board. Um, the uh, it was the, the the flames were extinguished. We know that three guys have been rescued. Um, there have been some 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 pictures of them uh, getting around a boat. Um, three bodies have been found, and 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 four are still missing. So it's 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 a it's a it's a, it's a pretty bleak day for uh, for Nigeria's oil industry. Beyond that sort of immediate human cost, there's also um, a, a, an environmental cost, of course. Um, we're not entirely sure how much oil was on the, the FPSO when this disaster struck, but it was uh, the, the estimates are suggesting somewhere between fifty and 60,000 barrels a day. Sorry, 50 and 60,000 barrels of oil. Um, so there is a potential for, for some pretty serious uh, ecological impact. Um, I've seen some satellite images from uh, I think it's Kairos, which says there's a there's a there's a 15 kilometer oil slick uh, coming from that uh, that that ruined FPSO. I mean I think it, it's it, it's obviously a question of you know how did we get to this point? Which obviously you know there, there's a certain amount of investigations that are going to go on. Um, the uh, the Nigerian oil spill agency has declared a serious disaster, so we're going to hopefully get a little bit of clarity on that as as as, as time goes on. Um, I think you know, obviously along the way, uh, the 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 FPSO is owned by a company called Sheba, uh, which went into uh, serious financial difficulties. Uh, it's in receivership, it seems. 
and uh, people that I've spoken to about the about about the ship have you know said that the um, it, maintenance hadn't been carried out. It was in a very poor state. Um, it doesn't seem to have been producing oil, so it's it's sitting on an oil field, but it doesn't seem to have been producing oil for at least a year. Um, but obviously, there was a certain amount of oil left in those storage tanks. So it's uh, it's just one of those things, isn't it? We we see sort of time and again how these disasters sort of play out in in Nigeria, and it's you know you speak to people in Nigeria, and it it, it kind of feels like almost like it's an accepted part of life is that these accidents will just keep on happening, and it's 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 just incredibly sad, you know. So so Nigeria at the moment is going through a series of sort of regulatory reforms. There's a new uh, upstream commission who is supposed to be obviously, you know, regulating the industry. But we're just, I suppose, we're not seeing the leadership, right? I mean, I think, you know, why was this vessel allowed to be there for so long with no maintenance? Um, if Sheba was in receivership for so long, how was it still allowed to kind of continue if it wasn't able to do the maintenance itself? Surely some other uh, operator or the state could have stepped in to carry out that maintenance, to demobilize, decommission, whatever. But just letting this infrastructure decay to the point that it clearly has, has clearly left to, led, led to this disaster. And I think, you know, we've seen it before and we'll see it again because uh, I, I, there doesn't seem to be the political will to kind of get ahead of these problems. I mean, I think it... it Trinity Spirit will not be the only ailing FPSO or, or, or infrastructure in Nigerian waters. This will happen again. And I, I guess that's the thing. We're just not seeing the political will to, 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 to drive the needed change. Gosh, it's it's such a it's just such a, a, a bleak situation from from all sides. Um and, and then, you know, we, we talk about the the safety regime in, in the UK uh slipping sometimes, but you know, clearly this is a different a different ball game altogether. All so, yeah, I mean, talking about, I guess, the environmental aspect of it, I mean, a 15-kilometer slick, I mean, I, I don't know how that might compare to a, you know, a, 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 well, clearly it wouldn't be a Macondo, for example, but clearly that's a, that's a major operation to try to clean it up. I mean, is, is there any indication of that kind of getting underway at this stage or how would it normally kind of go about? I yeah, mean? I mean, I, I, like a really good question. I mean, again, I mean, I, so I saw uh, a, a, a statement from, a, from another satellite company called Skytruth who, who, who sort of carry out sort of environmental uh, spotting, I suppose, for, for, you know, oil disasters. Uh, I think that it came out uh, on Tuesday and they were saying that as yet there seemed to be no vessels out carrying carrying out the required, um, you know, putting in place booms or, or collecting that uh, oily water. So as yet, we're just not, we're not, <laughs> we're not seeing any progress. So, I mean, I think that, it, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, again, it's, it's a question of, 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 you know, where's, where's that political will? Where's that desire to tackle this issue? You know, we're, we're seeing people complaining, of course, about the, the the environmental cost and rightly so you know but but where is the where is the, the the political side of things i mean i think you know the oil industry is such a mainstay of of nigerian government revenues it's i don't know it's something like 80 or 90 percent of government revenues given that why isn't there you know more action why isn't there more oversight why isn't there more scrutiny of, of of how these operations are carried out it's 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 alarming 
and it's shocking and it just seems to keep on happening. I recall it wasn't so long ago, um, it wasn't this particular F- FPSO, it was the, the FSO Safer and I think nearby to the Suez Canal, uh, you wrote about Ed and how that uh, it sounded like a very similar picture to what's happened here, uh, no maintenance for years. Uh, kind of ailing and and holding, I think I think much more oil, I think than than what this one was holding, if I'm not mistaken, or perhaps I am. But it, it would seem it would seem to be another kind of red flag that you know this this could happen anywhere, and um, when this kind of issue is arising, and you know, there's potential for some serious consequences for global shipping and 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 other issues as well as the environmental ones. If if you know we have these FPSOs around the world that are are just not getting. Uh, maintained properly. Indeed, indeed. So yeah, I mean, the 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 FSO Safa is a really good good example of that. I mean, I think so. I think it's been was it more than six years since maintenance was carried out on that. That's uh, an FSO offshore offshore Yemen. It's got something like a million barrels of oil uh, on board. Uh, so obviously a sort of a, a a a magnitude greater than the than the Trinity Spirit. But again, it's a real problem, isn't it? Where I suppose you know we see uh, the the ways in which you know I suppose. For, for for things like the Trinity Spirit, we see the sort of the, the private uh, benefit, right? You know, companies will be making money uh, from selling crude, but the the uh, the downside, the environmental impact, is is a public cost, and I guess that's where the where the where the, where the challenge lies, isn't it? How do you make companies kind of take on this uh, this cost to the environment? That is that is raising such concerns in in Nigeria, in Yemen, and, and in other places. I mean, I think, you know, we there are there are going to be problems in other places. You know, we saw uh, a fire in an FPSO offshore uh, the Côte d'Ivoire last year. I think that killed two people. Um, you know, Angola will have some similar issues. Uh, so there are, you know, there are a number of areas where this is a concern, and and I suppose. There's also a question of sort of the onshore. You know, we saw the uh, that 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 problem l- late last year with ITO onshore in the Niger Delta. Uh, that uh, that wellhead that was spewing out oil for was it a month? Was it five weeks? Um, that they just couldn't. You know, they didn't have the necessary expertise to immediately tackle. And it's again, it's just a problem of you know how do you how do you stop this from happening in a country where infrastructure is old the you know the oil industry in nigeria has been going on for 60 70 years so given that given that the state of the infrastructure there are going to be leaks and how do you how do you tackle that how do you get ahead of it and it, and and you know one would hope that the the pio is going to change that so far it seems to be coming up short Okay, thanks, Ed. Uh, we'll definitely be back to the the Trinity Spirit before long. I, I dare say we'll keep we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, next up, we'll stick with FPSOs, and Hamish will talk us through the kind of wave of of idle and I guess similarly unused uh, production vessels around the world. Energy is going through seismic change. This will be driven by people attracting new talent and reskilling the current workforce. Our Net Zero Workforce event, held online and at the Chester Hotel in Aberdeen on the 29th of March 2022, will explore the opportunities and challenges in the great energy skills transition and connect leading corporates, educators and innovators with the workforce of tomorrow. Free registration for virtual attendance and tickets for the physical event will be available soon, but right now we're looking for sponsors to join the event panels to debate this critical issue. Our event partners have the opportunity to project their leadership on energy skills transfer, help set the just transition agenda with the wider industry and legislators, and speak directly with talent that can shape their future. 
For details of sponsorship opportunities, email ryan.stevenson at energyvoice.com. Details are in the episode notes. Okay, so uh, Hamish, we've been hearing uh, recently about these idle and unused oil rigs during the pandemic, but now it seems that uh, FPSOs are, are the ones which, which don't really seem to be having much of a home these days. Uh, tell us what you've, what you've heard. Yeah, and there could be a whole wave more about to come and hit the market in the next few years. But I mean, like most things in the last few months, this is uh, all roads lead to Cambo. And this story is no different in some <laughs> ways because um, there was some analysis or comment we got from Reistad Energy uh, last month. Uh, the anal- analyst there said that despite the fact that the project is still on hold and it's shrouded in a good deal of uncertainty, a, a letter of intent for the um, for the FPSO for the field is still likely this year, um, obviously to go to seven SSP of Norway. Um, now that's kind of seems particularly odd, given that, like I said, there's no guarantee at the moment that it's going to go ahead. But they said that kind of for two main reasons, it's um, it it is likely this year. The first one of those being that the market is about to become incredibly tight and they're going to look for to secure capacity within it and also just the fact that the project's already a long way down the line um so this kind of opened up a few questions one what is the current state of play in the fpso market and two if the fpf if the fpso does get the green light if it starts to be constructed and then the project gets pulled then what's the capacity for redeploying it elsewhere is could it be used on another field um, so we went and spoke to uh, our friends at Westwood Global and also uh, noticed some analysis from it on global data as well. So Westwood Global first, they said that there's more than 20 uh, FPSOs currently awaiting redeployment across the globe. Um, just check the, the full figure on those quickly. I think it was 20, 21 there are, sorry. So already a lot looking for redeployment before you already add another or before you add another one into the markets. Um, and then to kind of look ahead as to how many are due to come on or due to be built or hit the market in the coming years. So that's analysis from, from Global Data Energy. So there's 56 planned and announced uh, of that total figure, 25 are units with uh, development plans, while the other 31 are projects that are kind of due to get signed off in the coming years. Um, the top market for that is going to be Brazil, mm. uh, followed by the UK and Guyana, which has four apiece. But the 20, 22 FPSOs um, in Brazil that are likely to come on stream between 2022 and 2027. Uh, and like Sicker Point Energy. This is just many operators trying to get ahead of the curve in in terms of securing space in in what's about to become a very tight market for for building FPSOs. Mm. Just on that point of redeployment as well with Cambo, this and I suppose this kind of comes out in the figures quite nicely is that they and this is quotes from Westwood Global said that they can can sometimes be redeployed, but it's not a particularly common phenomenon. Um, because they're usually built to, to project specifications. So were Cambo to kind of be put on hold indefinitely, I suppose, but an FPSO to, to be to be built, then there's no guarantee that it could could be used elsewhere. It could just sit in the dock and add to the, the growing number of, of uh, vessels that are already sitting idle, unloved and, and looking for a home. <laughs> It it really it, yeah it it sheds uh, an interesting kind of light into the the Campbell discussion which we've not really touched on before I suppose yeah as you say if we've got fifty odd 
FPSOs to be built because there's so much capacity going out around South America. Um, yeah, they're going to have to make a call, aren't they, um, in trying to book up yard space for this Cambo FPSO. You know, I guess if they don't make that decision soon, even if they were to press ahead with the project, you know, you need to you need to book that space and how long is it going to take to build, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, I, I you can you can totally see how that's going to have a knock on effect, and you know whether Campbell goes ahead or not, it'll be very interesting to see. Um, clearly, there's. Uh, a lot of question marks over that. I think the licenses are due to expire in March. Um, so, you know, we will we'll certainly keep an eye on that. But, you know, Sicker Point, we're looking for the for another partner to come in, I, I have to assume. Um, who's going to who's gonna touch it after Shell left? Um, uh, you know, no, you know I, I suppose that the, the point to make there is the, the Cambo FPSO is designed to be electrification ready. Um, so if there were projects going up around the west of Shetland, which you know is planned. You know BP is looking at electrification and uh, Claire and and various others. So yeah, I think I think this FPSO would be as you say kind of project specific. So I, I don't know whether it would be redeployed. It's 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 quite. I'm, I know there's a couple of unused ones over in the kind of Murray Cromarty Firth and the like and, and around the North Sea. But I didn't I didn't realize there was twenty already. That seems that seems quite uh, substantial. And you wonder if there's just kind of massive oversaturation in the in the market um but yeah so so westwood um reckon that those those waiting redeployment it, it would suggest i mean that's not just the the what whatever may come with this cambo vessel there's ones in the north sea waiting redeployment too this this might bode poorly for them then i suppose would certainly think so and if if there is just isn't the capacity for them to be modified redeployed elsewhere which would suggest there perhaps isn't with 50 well 54 more 51 more looking to be built then it looks like they could be perhaps reaching the end of their life and we did see the kind of those figures from um the ngo ship breaking platform of how quite how many are and then end up being sent to, to the beaches of, of bangladesh and india so a real issue for them and and one that could have like so many th- things do, a real knock-on effect, kind of further down the line, with when it comes to ship breaking and 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 how these these vessels are safely disposed of. We have got one, um, the the NAR FPSO, which is used over in Norway right now, owned by Altera Infrastructure, which is an Aberdeen headquartered company. That's coming off the the NAR field, um, I think later this year, I think. And the the aim, or certainly Equinor, has been using that to form its studies for Rosebank, which is the next big oil field very close by to Cambo um, that is expected to reach FID this year. So that that could be one notable exception of an FPSO getting redeployed. Um, whether or not they go for NAR or go for something else um, remains to be seen. I mean, Equinor said they're going to pick a concept select and uh, make a concept selection, I think, this year um, formally. So yeah, it's all up in the air on that. But um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think, you know, what else we've got. We've, we do have a few, uh, as I say, around the North Sea, and they have been waiting a long time um, to be redeployed. So maybe maybe they're they're right enough. Um, Ed, have you got any examples of FPSOs getting redeployed in 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 Africa? It seems like they just use the first one and it stays there no matter what. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think yeah, there there are some quite interesting examples. I suppose the one that springs to mind is. Is, is BW Energy and its its plans for Kudu, which I think is uh, is a 
is a, is a field off uh, off Namibia, which might be sort of. Uh, prone to that sort of thing i suppose the other thing that sort of strikes me that sort of you know maybe there's a move to sort of standardized design isn't there you know obviously people like sort of sbm always talk about this as, as, as one way to kind of get ahead of kind of break out of the kind of con contracting cycle don't they and i think it's quite quite an interesting model that we're seeing in guyana where sbm is basically just sort of making fpsos that are sort of flexible enough to to do you know provides scale pr production at scale um anywhere in the world and and obviously that's kind of seems to be working quite well for for exxon which seems to have as you say hamish a, 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 an inexhaustible thirst for uh, fpsos off going i can't remember how many uh how many fpsos at the moment there it is they're planning but it's a it's a really significant number and i suppose the, the kind of the counterpoint would be brazil where things always seem to be moving slower than one expects i mean like petrobras comes out with big plans which always involves sort of incredibly ambitious uh, FPSOs. Uh, but in general, I feel they get pushed back. Mm. I mean, one thing that could stand the, the Cambo FPSOs, should it get the, should it go ahead in, in good light, is that comments from Westwood saying that the, the seven SSP designs, circular hole designs that are more suitable for, for harsh environments, such as the North Sea, and that, that because it's going to be built electrification ready, means that it could kind of stand out from the rest and be seen as a, a more flexible option for and, and kind of have a competitive advantage for redeployment opposed to those that have been sitting there built however many decades ago and aren't as an attractive option as as the Cambo FPSO could could be. Interesting. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on that and see if somebody's going to get a good deal out there or how it's going to play out. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. So no, thank you. Thanks, uh, Hamish. And that's, that is it for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud. Thanks again, uh, Ed and Hamish for joining me. I've been Alistair Thomas and thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.